0: The yeshiva.net. So we continue the mimer that we began on Monday, the Eshahar Asheim. It's the last mimer, the last discourse of the Balatanya of the Alter Rebbe in Terebin Er Pashas speaking about the mountain smoking. After the earlier mimer, where the nation sees the void, the sounds and the tortures, the thunder and the lightning and the sound of the shaifer, the nation also sees. The mountain smoking, Eshahar ashe, And it says the nation has seen all this, Vayanu, they tremble, they are shaken up, and they stand from a distance. And the Alter explains, in Torah Eir, the last Maimer, and you could see it in your source sheets, page 148, <coughs> in Torah Eir, Parashas Yisrael, the last page, that the concept of the mountain smoking is not just a physical phenomenon, it represents something. Where there's smoke, there's fire. It represents the transformation of the physical into the spiritual. The transformation of matter into energy, if you wish. The transformation of the animal consciousness that becomes aligned and metamorphosized and gets closer and closer to... Holiness, it becomes a transparent conduit for holiness. Sometimes something gets burnt up and it ceases to exist. But when it's smoking, it doesn't get burnt up. As we explained last time, the difference between fire and smoke. But nonetheless, it's being affected. It's being penetrated. It's warmed up. The fire has touched it. The fire of godliness has touched the physical, and that represents the sublimation of the human body, the human consciousness, and of the entire world as explained. But then the Alter took it a step further. And he said that if you, if you study the Pasek in a nuanced fashion, you will see that there's something enigmatic. It speaks about two people, two nations, two groups, it starts off. The whole nation saw the sounds, the torches, the fire, the lapidim, the shofar, and the mountain smoking. And you would expect it to continue. And the nation trembled and stood from a distance. But the Possek continues, repeats again, vayar ha'am. But he already started off the Possek, v'chal ha'am roim. There's no need to re- repeat those same words again. That Rebbe said it represents two groups within the Jewish people. And as we learned, it represents two groups within each and every single one of us, because the physical demarcations between different groups are just reflections of different states of consciousness, different states of awareness that exist in each and every single one of us. So when we speak about the different groups and their response to Matan Torah, their response to what happened at Sinai, we are essentially reflecting different experiences within us at different moments, at different states in our life, different moments in our day, in our night, based on our own journeys. And what is, the, what is the difference? So briefly, in the first paragraph, we finish the first paragraph, Dr. Rebbe said there was the Jewish people and there was the Erev Rav. The Erev Rav were the multitudes that joined the Israelites during the exodus of Egypt. And they were the ones, we will learn later in Parshas Kisisa, who are responsible for the idea of creating a golden calf. When Moshe is gone, he doesn't come down from the mountain. He's been away 40 days and 40 nights, and they don't know where Moshe is. They say, we don't know what happened to him, and they gather on iron to iron, and they say that this man Moshe who was leading us is not here, and therefore, please make for us, asaylonu, make for us Elohim, a god, asayel which will walk before us, which will lead us, which will guide us. And al Alter Rebbe in a very profound, extraordinary profound explanation, one of the fundamental ideas in Chassidus, in especially in, his, in the teachings of the Balatanya, Chassidus Chabad, is that V'chal Ha'am, the nation, Yisrael, saw the kailos. What are kailos? Kailos are the sounds. Sounds always represent a flow of energy from a certain source. When a person emits a sound, those sounds create sound waves and they actually travel. And if you can detect, if you have the instruments to detect those sounds, you can hear what the person is saying. That's how the technology of radio, etc. was developed, which changed the world. So kailas are really a metaphor what he calls for where there's a communication, there's a sound wave, there's a flow from the light of infinity. And infinity can only dwell in bittel in a place, in a space that's open to infinity. Because the obstacle to experience the oneness is my blockages, my concealments, the voices inside of me or the emotions inside of me or the sensations inside of me that separate me, that make me believe that I am anything but oneness that I am anything but alignment, that I am anything but divinity. And this is, this is the, the key. This is where transformation happens, when I understand what bittal is. Bittal is when I acknowledge that the voices that tell me that I am anything but oneness are voices. They're part of my journey. They're part of my struggle. They're part of my past. They're part of my present, but they don't have to be part of my future. And even if they are part of my future, they should only serve as a catalyst to make me aware of where my work lay and what my work consists of. So Bittl is that ability to have that openness and realize that the only thing that separates me from the truth that I am nothing but oneness, I am nothing But the light of Ein an aspect of infinity, each and every single one of us is a frequency, a unique frequency of the light, just like physical light that comes out of any object or any source of light. So light travels, right, in different speeds, different frequencies, different wavelengths. The electromagnetic field is communicated in so many different frequencies, And that's why there's certain light that we can see, certain objects we can see. But most of the universe is invisible light because the frequencies are either too big or too small for my eye to detect them. So every single aspect of the universe is is a frequency of, of God's light. It's light. It's Hashem's light. It's a manifestation of oneness. But... For this I need the, the Bitel Bitel means letting go. Letting go, at least to some degree. Obviously, there's different moments where I'm capable of deeper experiences, but the common denominator of Bitel, which means letting go, levatel, to let go, to nullify those let go of those blockages, which means those voices, those thoughts, those sensations, that the message of those thoughts is that I am anything, but that oneness. And little comes, he says, from the soul being moved. What is it moved by? It's moved by the fact that a soul which is created and is finite, every person's consciousness is finite, is moved by infinity. It's moved by ain by, Soif by infinity. Because Hashem is not defined by any limitation, by parameters. And the way the al Rebbe puts it, quoting the Zohar no thought can grasp and as we explain when we say no thought grasps him it doesn't mean no specific thought but another the thought that I'm thinking doesn't grasp him there's another thought, a richer thought a deeper thought, no the problem is not what I'm thinking the challenge is that I am thinking any thought thoughts are formulations of reality they define reality within language and language, as important as it is for communication, is also a trap. Because it restricts reality. It strips reality from its infinity. That's why Moshe Rabbeinu, it says, is Moshe can't speak. Moshe has a difficult time speaking. Why? So the Alter Rebbe explains in Torah, Parashat Shmois, and in other Maimarem, and it's based on a teaching. You already have that concept in different words in the teachings of the Maral of Prague. Because words reduce reality to very fixed and finite properties. Words require descriptions. Words are about telling stories. Everything becomes a story. The Maral says something even deeper and extraordinary. That a child, the Gemara says, a child in the womb of its mother learns the whole Torah over nine months. And then when it leaves the womb, the malach, the angel, Al Piv, gives it a little flick. <laughs> they call it a shnel, A little flick, a little spanking on top of the mouth. And the child forgets the whole Torah. Now what does this mean? What does this mean? The morale of Prague says something incredible. In the womb of your mother, you learn Kalha Tarakula. You learn the entire taira as one. Kalha Tarakula. It's all oneness. But the Malach Satray Al Piv, he gives that little schnell, that little, uh, what's the word? Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> he strikes the top of the mouth. He says, The issue is that the a little flicky, on top of the mouth, so the Maral says, what's the issue? The issue is, it's on top of his mouth that he's going to be able to speak. Because the moment we speak, the moment we communicate, we already have to articulate it. Within finite terms, we lose the kol the infinite oneness. If you remember in the previous Mayim, Rabbi Akiva warned his colleagues, al-taymru, mayim, mayim, don't say water, water. There's the higher water, there's the lower water. The higher water is the Torah in its source. Which is Hashem's infinite wisdom, which can't be articulated, because if you articulate it, it's not infinite. And then there's the Torah, the way it trickled down, called Mayim the lower water, said, Al-Taim Ru Mayim, don't separate between the waters. In other words, every detail of Torah that we're learning down here, and we are articulating with our own mind in Machshavah, and with our own mouth in Deborah, in thought and speech, is really a trickle of pure infinity. It emerges. This is in the previous part of the Mayim, the first part of the Chalam Royim that we learned before this. So the Maral says, but the ability to speak about things is amazing. It's a gift that a child, an infant, slowly develops the ability to speak. But it also has that trap of putting everything into categories, boxing everything into its descriptions. So Moshe says, I can't speak. Myers is beyond that speech. So the Alter Rebbe says, when the soul becomes aware of this, no thought can grasp it. The challenge is not what I'm thinking, the challenge is that I am thinking. That I'm thinking reality, it's already a compromise. It's already an obstruction of reality. So he says, that awareness, the openness to this, which is a very deep meditative experience, because if I talk about this, then I'm just talking about it. <laughs> That's the challenge. Right that's why there were times D'Alrebo would say, "My martyrdom and he would just stop talking. I told you there were times D'Alrebo would say, "My martyrdom and he would start rolling on the ground because the experience couldn't be contained in words. We could contain in words that which is not experientially overwhelming, but that which is experientially overwhelming. I stop speaking. It's like when somebody gets very emotional and they can't talk, they just can't capture it in words, not because they're ignorant. But because words are containers. Words are limiting containers. And thoughts are also limiting containers, even though they're much more abstract than words. But we speak in language and we also think in language. Everybody sitting here is thinking in a language. The question is what your language is, but we all think in language. And that's why there are divisions, because if I think in English, I don't think in Yiddish, or in Hebrew, in Russian, or in Portuguese when the soul becomes aware of this at least on some level again, awareness of this is also, it also exists on infinite levels he says this is a coil this is a sound wave of Ein this is B'li G'vul entering into the space of G'vul this is my finite containers being opened up by some consciousness by some experience by some revelation of the transcendence of infinity of oneness and he says, that creates a bittle that I let go. I, I open myself up. There's an absolute vulnerability there. There's an absolute sense of ecstasy where I become subsumed in the oneness. That's the bittle. He says, the soul is moved in the deepest space. He says, Erev the Erev representing the Erev inside of me. They don't have energy for this type of Openness. They don't have the kayaches or the faculties. There's a sensitivity that's necessary for this. I need the energy for it. You need kayach for this. So I just don't have kayach. You know, life is stressful. Just leave me alone. <laughs> Let me remain in my orbit. There's a comfort zone there. So you need kayach. You also need the skill for this. You know, some people, you'll hear a piece of music. And your trend, it, it's, you melt, and other people, it doesn't speak to them. Two people could be sitting at the same shear, reading the same safer, hearing the same piece of music. One person is in awe. They're just mesmerized. They're sitting there with their mouths open, and they can't be grateful enough for having this experience. And the other person is, you know, texting. <laughs> right? The other person is texting. <laughs> Why? I, I, you need the koyches. You need the skill. You need the sensitivity to be able to detect certain things. There are frequencies of light that I don't register. My eye simply doesn't register. It doesn't exist. The famous example of the Balshtev, right? Incredible example. They asked the Balshtev why his followers and disciples, by davening, they're so lebidic. They would daven loud and sing and make with their hands. And the Balshtev gave an incredible example. He gave two examples, talking about two experiences. I want to bring out one, but I'll tell you the other example too. He said, you know, sometimes somebody is schlepped away by an undercurrent. And what do they do? What do they do? All they can do is just, just waving with their hands, basically, save me, save me, save me. He says, "Then life, that's what we do. We sometimes feel we're getting schlepped away with the undercurrent. You make with your hands. You scream, whatever you can. But the Basham boss- gave another example. And he said that there was once a brilliant musician who came to the town square and he took out his musical instruments and he started to play the most delicious, exquisite music. And the townspeople heard this and they all gathered around him and they all started to dance in the midst of the town square. The Baal said, another man walks by and he sees it's the middle of a business day, a regular day as you would say a Pasha to an ordinary wednesday and all these people instead of standing at their in their stores or walking to their destinations or trying to uh, mobilize c- customers to come to their uh, vendor send ve- vendor place v- to their vendor uh, what we call vendor to their uh, to their vending centers where they sell their merchandise they're all standing and dancing and he says this is a crazy place the Baal Shem Tov said there was one tragedy. The man was deaf. He didn't hear the music. All he can see is people jumping. So he says, by davening, he says, some people are so excited, but if I'm deaf, I don't know what, what I'm deaf. It doesn't mean anything to me. I don't have the kachis to be able to detect it. He says, the of Rav were not moved of He's not moved by the Einstein. Now it doesn't mean he's not moved. He says they are moved. They're moved from God too. But he says their main is Spiluses. They study the planets. They study the science and physics. And it's incredible. So the Alter here is elevating it to a very deep level. He says they're very, very affected in- and moved and inspired by the magnitude of what's happening in outer space. The planets and the stars, their height, their mass, their volume. He says, sheer, gadal, kolkach, just the size and the synchronization and the harmony. And it's essentially, he's just giving that an example, but essentially they are wowed. They are in awe of God's universe. He says, but what, what, what's my espilus? My espilus is from the yesh, from the concretization of ain't soiv, the way it's concretized, the way divinity is filtered and condensed to be able to assume the physical incarnation of any creature in existence. But he says from the Ain Sif itself, from the Ain Suif itself, which has no soif, it has no end, it has no parameter. He says, is spilus I'm not moved by it at all. It just doesn't speak to me. I study. I study the atom. I study the cell. I study the neuron. I study the sun. I study the moon. <laughs> I study stars. I study the planets, galaxies, the stars in the galaxies, the orbits of the stars in the galaxy. Psst. It does move me. And he says, and th- 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 they're moved by Hashem. They're moved from, from from what's being revealed. But he calls it, he says, the spilus is from the yesh. The spilus is from the way the Ein Seif is formulated in thoughts, in words, in physical reality. It's concretized so that it could fit in to my paradigm. He says, that's why the Rav, when Moshe is gone, they say we want a God that will walk before us. We want a God that we should be able to detect. We should be able to detect it, detect it with our physical eyes. That's what we want. In other words... I I could, I could pack it in. I could contain it. He says, that's the Hispilos that the Erev Rav was capable of. So, can I allow myself to be moved by infinite no-thingness or do I need to concretize my God I need the concrete version of God the way the divine is translated into a yesh or, or the Yisrael the first part of the Pasuk the Nishamas Yisrael are moved by Ayin the less yesh the better <laughs> not that science and physics are not awesome not that astrophysics and cosmology and geology and botany and astronomy And biology and neuroscience are not awesome beyond awesome. They are, they are, and that's where the mistake comes in. There were those who understand that Torah somehow doesn't care about science, doesn't care about physics. There's this notion that you know Judaism Torah ignores science or denies science or is careless about science. It's the opposite. Avram Avinu was the first scientist. <laughs> science is based on the fact that the universe is unified. Today science is looking for the string theory, for the ultimate theory of unity. Science is based on the fact that there are laws of nature that all of nature responds to. <laughs> that there is a rhythm, there is a plan, and somehow nature knows that it should obey the laws of nature, even though nobody is penalizing nature. <laughs> Science is based on a vision of unity. It's not that the Torah is not interested in science. It's that the Torah, Yiddishkeit, is about the ayin that precedes the yesh. And the more ayin, the better. It's about the ayin. It's about the no-thingness that precedes the thingness. It's about the Sof itself. It's not using the yesh as a place of getting stuck, but the yesh is yesh me ayin. The yesh is a manifestation of ayin. What's ayin? Ayin is no thingness, not nothingness. No thingness. Ayin is deeper than ayin is more exists is more ayin exists more than yesh exists. <laughs> yesh is just a formulation of reality in a particular concrete way, which reduces its infinity to finiteness. The finitude, finite. Ayin is the source, and in the source you have everything. In the source you have ultimate truth. The soul, the soul. They, they, they sense the koylus. What's koylus? Koylus is the g'vul coming into gvul. It's the ain soif. It's the ayin in the yesh. It's the way I look at science. It's the way I look at physics. It's not the science and physics itself. But this could be misconstrued. If somebody doesn't understand it, They think Torah, is not interested in science. Torah is not interested in physics. Somehow there's a conflict between religion, between God and physics. All of physics is God. Kulam haaretz kinyanecha. We say every morning. The Maggid of Mizrich once said a line, and this is what Major B'vrom Kalisker a Chassid. He was a student of the Vilna Gaon. From Kalisker, heard from the Maggid. The Maggid said, Malah haaretz kinyanecha. We say it every morning. In Davening, right after Yishtabach, right after Baruchah. So listen to this. Literally it means, means the earth, the world is filled with Kinyanecha. Basically with your acquisitions. In other words, everything is yours. It's your acquisition. Like, you know, a tycoon walks around and he says, this building is mine, this house is mine, this company is mine, this factory is mine, this school is mine, this real estate is mine. Right? It's all mine. So, the whole world is filled with your acquisitions. The Maggit said it's something much deeper. Much deeper. The is full The world is filled with opportunities to acquire you. The world is filled with opportunities to acquire you. There's nothing in this world through which I can't acquire Hashem. There's nothing in the world. You hear about huh? it, You hear, Aviva? You hear? There's nothing in the world that can't be used to acquire you, to acquire you, to have you, to connect to you, to have a relationship with you. Ah, the Maggid Malaha Molo Ha'aretz Kinyanecha. There were those who thought that you could connect to God through transcendence, through segregation, through spiritual aloofness, through sublimity, through escapism. But the whole path of the Baal was emphasized, no. In eating you could connect and in drinking you could connect. And even through sleeping you could connect. And through business and through money and in intimacy and in a conversation with a person. Every experience, every emotion, every sensation is a journey towards insight. Don't get stuck in the yesh. The yesh is may ayin. The yesh is just an articulation of the ayin. So Torah is, is, is not just moved by science, Torah is the source of science. But Torah takes me to the ayah and it doesn't get in a and doesn't get stuck in the particular formation of the yesh. That's the difference. So it's not that Judaism rejects science, on the contrary, Judaism elevates science to the ayah. And by the way, that's where real creativity comes from. Because real scientific, that's why Jews, by the way, have been so such a major Uh, uh, the jewish people have been such a powerful force in their contribution to science why because bringing science to the next step always requires going out of your comfort zone it takes a revolutionary spirit when you go back to the ayin you could reformulate the yesh in a new way so the greatest discoveries come when you're not stuck in your paradigm Right, Like Einstein said, if you think the way you always thought, the results are going to be the same results like before. If nothing changes, nothing changes. And ultimate change happens in iron, which is no-thingness. And over there you could completely rethink and revisit how we approached nature, how we approached one phenomenon, another phenomena. So the greatest progressiveness, the most powerful force to bring science, and physics, and biology to the next level comes from aligning the yesh even deeper with the ayin. This is a deep idea, but I hope you're getting the point here. The Erev Rav, I don't have Kayach for this. I don't have Kayach. At a, I'm not moved by this. Give me a tangible God. <laughs> Give me my concrete God. Now that the Rebbe continues, let's see what he says. Rabbi, could I, um, ask you can ask a question, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, last time I, I mentioned that I felt that... Um, scientist who believes in Hashem, um, it actually enables them to even go further, in a sense. And I mentioned it to my son-in-law, and he said, yeah, but um, the Torah teaches that there's places that shouldn't be um, uh, dealt with with science, um, such as, let's say, gene, um, mixing genes, or certain." Or, or certain maybe destructive weapons or whatever, then probably uh, uh, someone who's a believer in God would be uh, not allowed to, to go there because it's messing with nature. Yeah, those are different, que- you know, those are important questions. In other words, what are the limits of science in terms of manipulation of genes? Those are, yeah, that's where medical ethics comes into it because the scientist ultimately can describe to you the laws of nature and what we can do with them. You know, how we could deal with nature. The question is now, what's right and what's wrong? That's where morality comes in, indeed. Science on its own is amoral. We even know that some scientists have used their knowledge and science, right, to harm people. Unfortunately, we have some very sadistic examples for that. Where the person uses their scientific knowledge... For an immoral purpose. And that's why it's so important that science is completely aligned with a deep moral compass, with a deep moral sensitivity to the image of God and the non-negotiable dignity in every single human being. As the Torah says, So that's always a very important idea. And that's also connected to this. Because if I strip the yesh from the ayin, right, I could start worshipping a golden calf even though the golden calf began as a god, I'm looking for a god, I'm looking for authority, but ultimately that authority becomes a replica of my own imagination. As somebody once said, the Torah teaches that human being was carved in the image of God. But there's another view, and that is God is carved in the image of man. And that's ultimately what happens to the Erev Rav. Because they want a god, that can be reduced to their sensibilities, and a God that can be concretized. They want the Yeshus of Ein not the Ein So ultimately, what's the next step? The next step is, I completely define him. That's the next step. And suddenly I start worshipping my golden calf, which was really an extension of me. And I ultimately remain stuck in that space. All transformation, all real growth, all real healing comes from elevating our yesh and aligning it with the ayin, with the source. So the Alter Rebbe continues, yuvon. With this we're going to understand Masha Raza. The sages said, this is a Gemara in Brachas, Davav, Talmud Brachas, Tractate Brachas, page 6, Al HaMazikin, on the Mazikin, they used to be called Shadim, or, or demons, or or... Destructive forces shall That if the eye would only have permission, if the eye would only have the ability to see them, nobody would be able to withstand them. Nobody would be able to. Life would be life would be very, very scary. This is what the Gemara says in Brachas. Abba bin Yamin said that, you know, thank God our eyes are not microscopic. Thank God our eyes can only see certain things because if our eyes would really (laughs) be expanded, if our horizons would be expanded, we would start seeing what's going on. You know, maybe on a very practical level in today's day, we could understand, you know, imagine if you would see, you know, all the bacteria (laughs) and all the viruses that we live in, you know, and everything that we live in, everything in our environment, life becomes intense. Thank God we don't see most of reality. Most of reality is invisible to us. We see a couple of things so we can live with it. So the way Chazal formulated it so beautifully is that no creature would be able to withstand if we would be able to see the mazikim. If we would be able to see all the energies that exist in the world and some of those energies are destructive energies. Which is fascinating, fascinating. So the Altered Rebbe says, Nonetheless, Nonetheless, these Mazikin don't damage people. Why? Because they have Yerushamayim. He says they're scared of heaven. So it's fascinating. If we would see them, he says, nobody would be able to survive. In other words, we would be overwhelmed. And yet, Alter Rebbe says, we could walk around our, doing our business not knowing they exist, because they don't do anything. Why? Why not? If there's such intense mazikah, why don't they do anything? He says, they have the fear of heaven. As the Gemara says, that everything you do has to be announced from heaven. And then you can do it. He says, I don't understand. If they have so much fear from heaven that they can't transgress the mouth of God, so that means they're greater than people. A person has choice. A person has the ability to defy the divine will. They don't. So why are they called mazikim? We should be called mazikim. <laughs> they're called mazikim, which means damagers, when they are actually completely in compliance with God's will. As he says, they have ma'ir shemaya. A person, on the contrary, has choices to actually defy the blueprint of Hashem for his or her life, and yet they're called mazikim. inyin. the explanation is Shazo, klal gadol. Here is a great principle, and he uses the word klal gadol, which means Gemariah in Imperial in K'lal Gadal explains the divinity between K'lal and K'lal Gadal. This is a really awesome fundamental principle. She'ikere hefesh bin sitra de G'dushah bin klipi v'sitra achira. The main distinction between sitra achira, between the side of holiness and the shells and the other side, antithesis of holiness. Shama lachim eno shama z'sitra de G'dushah yesh lem bitul me'am shachasein sa'ev baruchu ba'atzmei b'chavay de k'vayach. Angels and souls that come from G'dushah, they have bitul. They have a sensitivity and their eye dissolves in the communication of the light of infinity itself. They have a sensitivity, as we spoke earlier, to the Ain Saif itself. What is the key difference between Kedusha and not Kedusha? Kedusha is moved by the Ain Saif. Kedusha has a bittle, Kedusha has an openness. That's what makes it Kedusha. To what? To the revelation, to the to the truth of the light of Ein Soif itself. That's the reason that the bitul of the angels, the 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 sense of egolessness of the angels is so profound. They have so much awe and reverence. They can't even contain it. Because this flow of the Ein Saif is revealed, it's manifested in their life, and when they become aware of it, the awe, the reverence is so overwhelming, they can't even contain it because they have some experience, some glimmer, some ray, some revelation of infinity. When you're talking about the shells and the husks and the other side, they get their nurture and they hold on to the consciousness of separateness. That's where they live. That's where they thrive. They live in the space of prud of separateness. What does it mean? That the the flow of infinity, the consciousness of infinity, the frequencies of the light of infinity do not dwell and are not conspicuously manifested in them. The way it is in its truth, which is infinite. Why? Because they occupy space. And that's the key. The difference between Kedusha and not Kedusha, he said, is not if they obey God's will or they don't. On the contrary, a person has Pchira, and the Mazikim don't have Pchira. The Mazikim do what Hashem wants. He says the key difference, the Klal Gadl is, that Kedusha is moved by the Ein Saif itself. Klip and sitra Akhira lives in a world of separateness, even if I do what God wants. As the Gemara says, the karulei Elakada lakaya. The Gemara says at the end of Menachas that there were pagan nations, they call God the God of gods. He's the God. He's the boss. He's the ultimate boss, but he's the boss over the boss. He's the God of gods. Elekada lakaya. But I'm also a God. And this is the consciousness of separateness. This is Alma the Prudah, the world of fragmentation. So yes, God is the ultimate God. I have to follow orders. The Mazikim say, if he doesn't say, I can't do it. And that's why they don't harm unless they're told to. Because God is the God of gods. But the issue is they occupy space. What does it mean they occupy space? They occupy their own space. In the consciousness of Ein Saif, so I don't occupy space. Because my space is a derivative of the space of infinity which is spaceless, which transcends space. The definition of klipa and setraachir is it's teufus mokum. That's it, it just occupies space. And that's the great lie of existence. The great lie of klipa is there's a shell, there's a husk that blocks the truth of sof entering into my system, entering into my heart, into my body, into my brain, into my consciousness. So God is the God. I have faith. I believe that God exists, but he's the God of gods. I'm also a God. The fact that I occupy space rather than I experience the oneness of Ein Soiv that permeates every nook and cranny of consciousness and of existence. That's the key demarcation between the world of holiness and the world of the other side of holiness. So you say the person has p'chira. He can choose to defy God's will. The mazikim can. The person should be called the mazik. They should be called servants of God. But the Rebbe says no. Why? Because the person, the soul, yes, the person has choice. The person has freedom. The person could go different ways. But the person has that ability, the Nishama has that ability to be able to experience. It's sensitive to the experience of Ein Saif. The Mazikim are not. So even though they do everything right, they do everything right, but there is the ego that constitutes the core of their existence. My ego, in order for it to function, it has to recognize a bigger ego. It has to recognize a bigger boss. It has to recognize a higher authority. I may be a very important senior manager in the company, but there's ultimately the one who hired me, and he can also take away my job. So there is deference. deference. I have to show respect. I have to follow orders. I have no problem with that. But he says, Teif Simmakim. I occupy space. And that's the difference between the of Rav and the Neshamas. The of Rav can deal with Ein Soiv, but the way he comes into Oyesh. The way he's concretized into Oyesh. Not infinity itself. The planet's amazing. Even if I believe that the planets have a creator. The world, an amazing place. But Neshamas Yisrael, <laughs> infinity touches them. On this, there's a metaphor of the Baal It's an incredible metaphor. The Baal said it on the Oposic in Tehillim, Tfilah l'anich hiyatoi Hashem yesh b'chzichai. Which means, David HaMelech says, this is a prayer for the poor man who pours his mouth and his heart out to God. So the Baal says, only a poor person speaks to God. L'apnei Hashem yesh b'chzichai. Yesh b'chzichai means he pours out his words, his conversation to Hashem. Every person, a rich person doesn't. And an asher also speaks to Hashem, not just a poor person. So the Baal Shem Tov said as follows. He gives a metaphor that there was a king, great, benevolent, wonderful king, beloved by all of his subjects, who gave all of his subjects an opportunity to come see him. One day everyone could come visit the king and spend as much time as they want with him in the private intimacy of his chamber and talk to him about whatever their heart desires. This was such an exciting moment. Remember in the old, in the days of yore, in the Baal times, the czars and the kings were unapproachable. You barely ever saw them, never mind have a conversation with them, never mind a private conversation with them. And everybody came to the palace. But on the first floor of the palace, the king set up the most amazing buffets and smuggles boards of foods. And on the second floor, he had the most amazing, exquisite wines and alcoholic beverages and all types of drinks. And on the third floor, he had the most amazing display of jewelry, gold and silver and pearls and diamonds and emeralds and all forms of exquisite jewelry. And on the next floor, he set up a library of the greatest manuscripts, capturing the magnitude and depth of, of literary wisdom that was only available in manuscript form, and that was on the fourth floor. Ah. And then on the next floor, he had music, he had the greatest musicians, he brought together the greatest musicians from his whole kingdom. To stand or sit all day and play the most heart-enthralling, captivating music. And then when you came to the sixth floor, there was art, the art gallery. The most beautiful, expensive, priceless pieces of art were on display for everybody to enjoy and observe. And the Balshamtev says the people started to come in mass. <laughs> and you came into the first floor. You never saw so much food and such delicious food. Many people just stayed there for the day. And then those who made it to the second floor, where do you find such drinks? And they started to drink, say, one l'chaim, another l'chaim, you know, it can be a little addictive, and that's where many of them spent the day. And then those who had a sensitivity to jewelry <laughs> were in thrall, they were in ecstasy. And those who had a brain in their heads, and they saw manuscripts and books that they would never be able to see, and that's where they got stuck. And if you have a chush of music, ah, you couldn't tear yourself away from these concertos, from the ballads and from the symphonies. And an art connoisseur, how could you not sit and take in all the art? And the Baal Shem Tov said, Nobody made it to the king. Only one man, only one person. He was illiterate, he was poor. He was simple. (laughs) He knew nothing. He understood nothing. Even food, he didn't understand the richness of food. He saw some bread. He took a piece of bread. Drinks. He knew nothing about drinks. Jewelry. He never saw them in his life. He couldn't read. Music. He didn't appreciate music. Nor did he appreciate art. So what did he do? (laughs) He went straight to the king. He spent the day with the king says the Balshamtev, precisely the Ani, the poor person, not financially, we're talking about from a spiritual point of view, from a uh, from a literary, from an intellectual point of view. He speaks directly to God. The metaphor for this is that the universe is such a rich place, it's filled with the richness of the king, the richness of Hashem. As Nalt Rebbe says, just look at the Galgalim and you'll see the richness, the art, the music, the jewelry, the wisdom, the food, the drinks, the glitter, the dazzling brilliance and richness of every single detail in our planet and in our universe. And it's endless. And it's all from the king. But I can get stuck there. I can get stuck there, and I'm not getting stuck in a bad place. <laughs> I'm getting stuck in a beautiful place. This spilus from the Galgalim, as he says before, elikod elikaya. But I can get stuck. It's not the etzim. It's not the core. It's not the essence. The essence transcends any formulation of essence. The essence transcends any formulation of yesh. So the Alter Rebbe continues. Valzenemar. What did the Alter say? You know, the Tzermach said that the Alter by davening would often say, he would go into a meditative, transcendent moment, and he would say, "Mele b'shamayim v'mchalei chafatz tibaret. Who do I have in heaven? And with you, I want nothing on earth." He said, "Ich will nicht dein Ganeden, nicht deinech will nicht dein Oyelam Hazeh, ich will nicht dein Oyelam Haba. Ich will man nicht als dich allein." I don't want your Ganeden. I don't want your Oyelam Haba. I want you. I want you. Valzen Nemar on this deposit says Malchus der v'der. Your kingship is the kingship. Your royalty pervades all the worlds. Hashem's Malchus is not limited to America or to Russia or to the Ukraine. It's His Malchus extends through all the worlds. your rulership pervades every generation. Says Dalt, there's two elements here. Malchus and Memshallah. Shekol, oyle Maseliyoyin mekabim mupchines Malchus is, but all of the higher worlds receive Hashem's Malchus. Shemamlichim oisay Malchus and kiblu aleim They coronate Him, and as we say in davening, umalchusay berotz and kiblu aleim, they accept willingly His Malchus, His sovereignty. La aleim she melucha. That's why the title Melucha is conferred on them. It's like a mortal king, a human king of flesh and blood becomes a king only when the people coronate him. They have to choose him as their king. Memshala is different. Melucha is voluntary. Memshala is involuntary. A melech is a leader. A melech is a dictator, a tyrant. So says, but in every generation, shem al medipruda, where there is separateness, the world of separateness, The title melucha won't be conferred on them, only mamshalla which is involuntary, whether you like it or not. There's the way Hashem is experienced as malchus, the relationship is intimate and enthusiastic. Why? Because the ain't Saif is who I am. I am Ein Sof. My eye is comfortable with Saif because I am part of infinity. But then there is memshaltacha bakhaldarvadar. When I'm in a state of consciousness, I may have no choice but say, yes, there's a boss. That's why they're called mazikim. They listen to God, but they're called mazikim because they occupy their own space, because they get stuck in the yesh. I have to acknowledge God, and I'm forced to listen to Him, but I'm forced to listen to Him. And the very fact that I'm forced to listen to means there's no intimacy. There's no oneness. I live in a world of separateness. I live in a world where my consciousness is separate. So I reduce God to my yesh. And even if I acknowledge Him, ultimately, there's no intimate oneness. It's memshaltecha. That's what we say in benching, the second blessing of benching. So the Rebbe says as follows, we say two things. We thank you, and we bless you, and then we continue. Your name is blessed in the mouth of every living creature. She says there's two elements here. You already said umavarchemaisach ala koel hashem alekenu anachnu moedim lach umavarchemaisach. We bless you. Now you suddenly say everybody blesses you. So he says there's two elements, just like the two arms and the Pasik v'chala am roym v'yara am bnei yisrael We, the bnei yisrael, the Jew inside of us, blesses you. And what does a blessing mean? We spoke many times. Bracha means. A flow, a communication. HaMavreches HaGefen means you bend the vine, you extend the vine. You take a vine, you take the branch of a vine and you put it in the earth so that a new vine grows. Brecha in Hebrew is a pool which draws water from the source, from the spring. We We access you, we want you. We want you. We want the coil, the flow of the Ein Seif itself. O want and this comes through the kailas, through the sounds. The The Gemara says in Brachas that the Torah was given through five sounds. Which are basically five forms of communication. We spoke earlier about the five fingers of each hand, the five chasadim, the five gvuras. So there's various kailas through which the Ein Seif is communicated. Even though the Torah is manifested in physical issues, physical discussions, physical mitzvahs. And we're also in a physical body. So what do you mean we're Mam the Ain't Soif? We're not Ain't Soif. But by Hashem, darkness and light are one. In other words, nothing eclipses infinity. So in my physical body, I can have the Ain't Soif and it doesn't have to obliterate the body. The Torah can come into Gashmi and it's still Ain't Soif because by God, darkness, Sunlight, on our one nothing eclipses infinity. Chazal say in Tana when a Jew learns, Hashem at that moment is learning parallel to him. It's like a chavrusa. There's no such a thing. A Jew learns alone. A Jew sits down to learn Torah, and Hashem says, "You need a chavrusa." Of course, I'm here. What an what, what a imagery that our sages saw this. And they articulated when a Jew sits down to learn Torah, Hashem is sitting parallel to him and her and learning with them that's the Ein Sof coming into my life into my body into my brain or as the Navi uses the expression Isaiah chapter 59 Udvaray, my mouth that I placed my words that I placed into your mouth your mouth is a conduit then we continue. Then there's another state of consciousness. First state of consciousness in benching is We, we, we access you, we want you, in my body and in my physical self because for you darkness and light one and darkness doesn't eclipse your infinite presence, that's Mavarchim Sach. then Yisbarech Shimcha befi Kolchai but in the, in the mouth of every living creature even a creature that could be called Klipa, that could be called Sitra Zitrachar and even Mazikim and Erev Rav they want your name Yisbarech Shimcha they want to access your name and that's also big, but they want only the name what's a name? a name is your reputation the way you're known, the way you're experienced by somebody else, the way you're concretized into a yesh, into the planets, into the stars, into the atoms, the way you're concretized, the way you could be experienced in a world of otherness where the Ein Soif has to be eclipsed by nature, by definition, so there can be otherness. It's two states of consciousness. And we vacillate between these two states of consciousness. The consciousness of Mavarchim, Isah and Yzbarek Shimcha Bafikal Chai Tamidlawat. In benching we have both. Alakala Shemala Kena anakhnu maidimlach o mevarchim Isah. And then there's Yizbarich Shimcha, the name, not you. First is Mavarchim Isah, then is Yizbarakh Shimcha Bifikalchai Tamilabat. Again, like the person going into the palace. And I get enthralled by everything in the palace, which allows me to remain in my own orbit and my own identity. But then there is the presence of the melech himself. This ain't safe. And here there's no, I'm, I'm not to anymore. I don't occupy space. There's no other space. Because all of space is really spacelessness. And all of time is timelessness. That's the consciousness of Neshama Sisrael versus consciousness of Erev Rav. And we vacillate, we experience both consciousness, but ultimately there could be a oneness and a seamless flow. Being stuck in the world of the Erev Rav means I'm always stuck in the world where I have to occupy space. I always have to find my ego, my space and occupy it. And I'm not ready to give up that space. But Neshama Sisrael means... I'm searching. I'm yearning. I'm pining to lose my space, to allow my space to just become a manifestation of the Ein Sof itself. Tefillah la'ani chiyateif v'lefnei Hashem yushperechich. Ich will Mensch wie dich allein. The Etsa, the Ein Sof itself, mevarche my Sach. I don't have to fear giving that up. Why? Because when I give that up, I have everything. (laughs) What do we mean I have everything? I realize that the very I is infinity. That's the bittle. The bittle is, what do you mean? How are you going to give up your space? What are you going to be left with? What are you going to be left with? Of course, there has to be a lot of trust, but you're left with everything. I don't mean everything in an egotistical way. I give up $100, I can get a million dollars. I give up space to reveal that the only real truth is Ein Sof, and the ultimate truth of the I is just a manifestation of that Ein Sof. That's where the Etzem is, and that's where oneness happens. That's where healing is. That's where real transformation happens. Real creativity happens. Real growth happens. So there were two state, there were two experiences by Matan Taylor. And then there's the Erev Rav. (laughs) They were also moved, but they ran away. They said, we're going to stay far. We're going to look at the seed. We're going to to enjoy it, but we're going to stay far away. As the Balsham once said, God is fire. What's the definition of fire? You can't enjoy the fire partially. Either you stay far away or you're ready to be consumed. I can't put my hands into the fire and say, oh, that was Geshmak, like in the beach, you put your feet into the water. It doesn't work like that. Hashemah Hashem is ain soif. With ain soif, I become completely subsumed or I stand on stand a distance. Okay, everybody, this concludes this Maimé Vesahar Ashein, and I wish you all a beautiful day. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes.